Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church and make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. We're going to start a series today, and the series is titled, How's Your Love Life? So I want you to ask the person next to you. You know, you know I always ask you guys to share the title with somebody next to you, so ask them, how's your love life? This is not one of those how to get a guy in 10 days type of sermon. We did a relationship series, but let me say this. If you use and apply what we're going to be talking about during this series, it'll definitely help you pick the right one. All right, how's that? It'll definitely help. So make sure you take notes. It's going to be good. Love is so broad. When we talk about love, we think about romantic comedies, maybe, right? Or we think about the love between a, a man and a woman. But love is so much broader. It's not limited to just that. I didn't want to limit this sermon to courtship or to marriage for that reason. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be diving into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you want, you want to open your Bibles and start getting it ready. We're going to start studying a little bit. That's the love chapter for those that don't know, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I read it in every single wedding I've officiated, and I'll be reading it soon because uh, Charlie and Brandy are getting married. (laughs) It's a very popular topic, and it's something that we should all be familiar. So as we dive in to understand God's true definition of love, I want to challenge you to compare your definition of love with God's. And I want to challenge you, don't ever think that your definition of love is better than God's. I'll tell you why. Because God is love. He's the author. When you talk about love, you talk about God. Because he is love. He doesn't have love. He is love. So should there be a little bit of a hint of a difference between your definition and God's definition, I pray that you would allow God to use this series to mold your heart to be more like his. Amen? Is that cool with all you? Awesome. Okay, so let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 all the way to 3. We're going to read the first three verses. And then we're going to dive a little deeper. It says this, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods or give all my goods to feed the poor, And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Melissa, you were right. You can give and not have love. It's true. And that's exactly what it says. Now, pay attention to all the things that it says here. You could speak in tongues five hours a day. You could have faith that you could move mountains. You could sell your house and sell your car and donate the proceeds to the Rebuilding Puerto Rico Fund. You could... You could do all these good things. You could resurrect people. How many of you guys would like to have a few Lazarus come out from the grave, right? When you just speak the situation or call out their name. You could even give your body to be burned. And if you do all those things without love, it says that we are what? Nothing. I want to ask you, how extreme are those statements? Those are pretty extreme things, don't you think? It gets your attention right off the bat because most of us, if we're honest... 
would not do most of these things. And if we would get close to doing some of these things, we think pretty high of ourselves. I mean, selling your house, selling your car, selling everything and giving it to the poor, you'd feel pretty good about yourself. You did a huge sacrifice, but you could do all that. You could give a lot and not have love. Because sometimes we associate love by giving. And like Melissa said, you can give and not have love. We can do a lot of things and still not have love. That's why I want to get your attention today. I want to go to the Word of God to see what truly is love. Not the way the world defines it, but the way God defines it. Amen? You can do a lot of good and have no love. Verse 4 starts with, love is what? Help me out, church. Love is patient. Let's start with love is patient. Raise your hand if you have problems with this word. (laughs) All the patient people, raise your hand. Come on, there's patient people. Don't be shy. All the impatient people. Raise your hands. More impatient than patient, but honest. More honest than dishonest. So I have a story here. There was a teacher who was helping one of her kindergarten students put on his boots. This was somewhere in New York. It was cold winter. And he asked for help, and she could see why. With her pulling and him pushing, the boots still didn't want to go on. So when the second boot was on, she had worked up a sweat. She almost whimpered when the little boy said, teacher, they're on the wrong feet. So she looked, and sure enough, they they were. It wasn't any easier pulling the boots off than it was putting them on. She managed to keep her cool as together they worked to get the boots back on, this time on the right feet. He then announced, these aren't my boots. She bit her tongue rather than get right in his face and scream, why didn't you say so? Like she wanted to. Once again, she struggled to help him pull the ill-fitting boots off. He then said, they're my brother's boots. My mom made me wear them. (laughs) She didn't know if she should laugh or cry, but she mustered up the grace. She must have been from JTP Church. What can I say? She mustered up the grace and the courage she had left to wrestle the boots on his feet again. She said, now where are your mittens? He said, I stuffed them in the toes of my boots. (laughs) Everybody say, patience. What a patient teacher. How many of you can admit that patience is not an easy thing? Patience is not easy, especially if you're a millennial and living in South Florida. Patience does not come easy to us. I got to see how impatient I was this last weekend. As you guys know, I wasn't here last week. I was actually in a wedding. I was marrying one of the youth leaders here at JTP Church, Billy Barrantes, and he got married to Rowan, this beautiful young lady. I got to see how different Miami culture is than Minnesota. They got married way up in Minnesota. It was beautiful. They got married in a state park. It was outside. We don't get to appreciate that here because we don't got a lot of cold, but the trees were already starting to turn red, you know, because of the fall. It was magnificent. It was beautiful, 50-degree weather. Amazing. I like the cold. So I was there from 9 in the morning because we had to go through some rehearsals. The wedding was around 2 p.m. So we did some rehearsals. I walked around the woods, you know, tried to kill time, updated my fantasy football, among other things. And then at 2 o'clock, I got a chance to marry them. It must have finished like around 2, 2.45, and dinner was supposed to be at 3.30. So about 45-minute wait. Well, those 45-minute wait turned into three-hour wait. And you could see, 
Like what I was surprised is that, you know, me being from South Florida and wanting everything fast and used to, I was like so impatient. I'm like, well, what's wrong with the food? You know, did, you know, did something wrong? Did they cancel the food? Is the caterer not here? What's, what really surprised me is most of the invitees were young people because Billy was a student at ORU, Oral Roberts University, and that's where he met his wife. So they brought a lot of their friends up, and it was a lot of young people. And you know what surprised me? None of them were on their phones. They were just having a good time. They were talking. I'm like, if that would have been here, man, I don't know. People would have been snapping and just, you know. And they just enjoyed themselves. And I shared this with, with Jesus. I was just surprised. And I was being impatient. I'm like, what's wrong with the food? Where's the, you know, and I noticed how impatient I can be sometimes. And sometimes we're impatient to forgive. We don't have patience with people. We jump on them. We cross them out of our list. We remove them from our friends list. In Matthew chapter 18, I want to show you this. We're not going to read it. But it's a story of Jesus. And Jesus is telling a parable about a king. And the king decides that it's time to settle accounts with his servants. And he had one servant that owed him 10,000 talents. Talking money, it was more than a million dollars. It was a lot of money. So he has this guy, and he has his servants bring this guy that owes him money, and says, hey, pay up. Where's my money? You owe me over a million dollars. And this guy said, I'm sorry, king, I don't have it. The king ordered the servants to take him, to lock him up, to torture him, because he hadn't paid for him. Now, this guy, he gets on his knees. He starts crying. He starts saying, please, I have a family. I have kids to feed. And... His pleading, I don't know how long it took, but it worked. The Bible says that the king had a soft heart, and he started feeling mercy and compassion for this person. And he said, you know what? I'm not only am I not going to lock you up, not torture you, I'm going to forgive your debt. I'm going to let you go, and you don't have to pay me anything. And so the story goes, the parable that Jesus is telling is that he let him go completely, debt-free. You don't owe me a dime. You imagine how happy this guy is? Imagine having over a million dollars in debt and all of a sudden from one day to the other, from one second to the other, you're free of all debt. Man, I'd be singing hallelujah. I'd be praising the Lord as loud as I can. Well, the story continues. The parable continues. This guy, the guy that was just pardoned, had a guy that owed him money. This guy must have owed him $100. But instead of extending that compassion and that being patient with that person and extending mercy to this guy who owed him $100, he called him over. He had his servants call him and bring him, and he stuck him in jail. He tortured them. And when the king found out through his servants, he said, hey, do you know what happened? Remember that guy that you pardoned for a million dollars? Well, he had somebody that owed him money, and he didn't pardon him like you did. As a matter of fact, he tortured him. He stuck him in jail. So the king was really upset. And he told him, call him over here. And the king said, why didn't you extend mercy after all that I paid for you? Wouldn't, wouldn't you guys think that it was the right thing to do? If you guys were pardoned a million dollars and you had somebody that owed you a hundred bucks, wouldn't you pardon that person? And this guy didn't. And the question is this. Why shouldn't we be patient with difficult people? How much has God forgiven us? Speaking about debt, don't think in money terms, but sins. How much has God pardoned us? 
How many times have we messed up and still we can go to God and God's there to forgive us? Still we can go to God and God's there to lift us up if we fell or if we messed up. And then when it's our time to be able to extend mercy and be patient with other people, we don't. So now maybe you have a new way of looking at love when you read that love is patient. God wants us to be patient with people. God wants us to be patient with our family members. God wants to be patient with people that just, it's just more difficult for them. And they have a hard time. And, and sometimes we just cross out people out of our list. And God wants us to be patient. The king showed incredible patience and mercy. Shouldn't the guy have shown the same patience and mercy for the other man? Of course he should have. And the reason why we should be patient with difficult people is because God has been patient with you. I want you to put your arms around somebody on your left, on your right, shake them a little bit and tell them, we need to be patient because God has been patient with you. How many times has God been patient with us when we fail to acknowledge his will for our life? We just go on doing our things, what we think is right, and we don't even take time to consider, God, what is your will? What do you want me to do? How can I get more involved in your kingdom? How can I be more kingdom-minded than self-minded? How many times has God stuck with you and watched over you even when you have let him down? And he still was there for you. Why aren't we there for other people when they let us down? If God has done that for us, shouldn't we in turn do that in our relationships with each other? And that's exactly what Jesus was teaching through this principle. We need to be patient with people. Amen? Patient with parents, maybe. <laughs> patient with children, for those that are parents and their children are, get on their nerves. Someone say amen. No? <laughs> we got good kids here at JTP Church. Good sons and daughters. Patient with our friends. Patient with, with our disciples. Patient. We need to be patient. The second thing that it mentioned in verse 4 is love is kind. Everybody say love is kind. There's a story about a preacher who saw a poorly dressed man. He was trying to hitchhike a ride on a very dismal, and it was a stormy day. It was raining. And feeling a surge of pity, this guy stopped and picked up the hitchhiker. But when the hitchhiker identified himself as a pickpocket who had just been released from the penitentiary, the preacher began to be a little bit apprehensive. In his uneasiness, he became careless and he ran a stop sign. So police saw him do it and immediately pulled him over and ordered both men out of the car. After questioning them, the policeman pulled out his notebook, wrote out a ticket, and he handed it to the preacher. Then he put the notebook back in his pocket, got back in his patrol car, and drove off. Rather shaken by it all, the preacher didn't say much, but just drove to the spot where he was to let off the hitchhiker. As he got out, the pickpocket turned to the preacher and said, well, thank you for being so kind to me. And I believe that one kind deed deserves another. Then he pulled out from his pocket the policeman's book of tickets and gave it to the preacher. I'm not sure what the moral of the story is, but I'm convinced that it is good to be kind because sometimes kindness produces great dividends. How many of you believe that? When you're kind to somebody, it comes back to you. Sometimes we're just worrying about ourselves. We don't even realize it, but we're so egotistical and we, we just want people to bless us and bless us. And we're, we're always seeking out blessings, but God wants us to be kind. How many say amen? Kindness is powerful. 
You know what? The world sometimes doesn't understand the power of kindness. As a matter of fact, the world sometimes, and when I say the world, I mean people that don't know the Word of God. Sometimes people look at love, especially God's love, and they see it as a weakness, not a strength. They see it like, oh, this guy goes to church. Uh, you know, he needs help. He's a weak person. That's why he needs to go to church. This person is loving, so loving. Oh, he's just weak. There's a story about a German philosopher. His name was, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, Nietzsche. And this guy influenced Hitler, looked at the Christian world, and he said that Christianity strips strong men of their power because Christianity encourages people to be kind. He said this, they spend their energy trying to take care of the feeble and oppressed. That's not the way it works. You know, the way I see it as a parent, I have Luca, and now I'm going to be a father again in March of next year. And as a parent, what you do is you have this baby that is totally dependent on you. He can't do things on his own. And during years, years, and there's parents here that know what I'm talking about, you have to pour in into that kid's life. You have to sacrifice. You have to do things that are sometimes, you have to stop thinking of yourself in order to think about that person. But that's not weakness. Because everything that you pour into that person, all that goodness, right? When you correct them, when you, when you bathe them, when you clean their poo-poo that smells nasty, all that sacrifice, as they grow up, then that comes back to you. How many say amen? And you see the results and the fruits of all that kindness that you showed, of all that self-sacrifice that you give on behalf of your child, and then it comes back to you. And you, when they're 18, I'm not, I'm not there yet, but one day I'll see my son at 18. One day I'll see my son getting married. If it's a girl that we have, my daughter getting married, and then we'll say, wow, it was all worth it. And then the blessings start coming back. Amen? I think there's nothing more beautiful than a parent seeing everything that they sold into their children now come back. And now you're proud. You know, your, your child loves God. They went to school. They got a degree. They're, they're making it, and it was worth it. Everybody say, it's not weakness to be kind. And some people are just kind to their own kind. Oh, I'm kind to my blood, but everybody else, right? No, God calls us to be kind. Wasn't God kind with you? After you turned your back, after we turned our backs, let me include myself. We fell into sin, we turned our backs to God, and yet he sent his son to die for us. I mean, isn't that kindness? Isn't that love? So everybody say, love is kind. Parents sacrifice to mold a child into a responsible adult. Take sacrifice. God sacrificed his son for humanity. And Jesus girded a towel around his waist to teach his disciples this very lesson about servanthood, about being kind and saying, you know what, the greatest one in the kingdom of heaven needs to be the one that serves the most. And even though he was about, he was hours away from dying and being nailed to the cross, he got down on his knees, he girded his towel, and he started washing his disciples' feet. The disciples that a few hours from now are going to be betraying him and saying, I don't know him, I'm out. Don't come after me. I don't know Jesus who? Jesus from the block? Or... And they came, and Peter denied him three times, and, and Jesus is washing their feet, knowing that a few hours later they were going to be doing this. Would you wash somebody's feet? Would you serve someone that you know is talking behind your back? It's, everybody say kindness. 
Ooh, I think the Lord is speaking tonight. Everybody say, love is kind. Kindness is powerful. But kindness is also vulnerable. It's risky. Wouldn't you agree? Let me give you an example. A woman's car breaks down in the middle of the road. And two men come to try to help her. She worries whether to accept the help of two strange men. It's risky. Kindness can also be misused. You can be kind to someone and that person becomes dependent on you and keeps coming back. And abusing of your kindness could be misused. It could be risky. So we think about leaving kindness to the Salvation Army and to the professionals that know how to do kindness, and we say we're off the hook. But no, God calls us to be kind. Be kind to your brothers and sisters. Be kind to people that are difficult to be kind to. What separates us from the world? How can people know that we're different? Well, because we have the light of Jesus. And the light of Jesus makes us what? Shine. What does shine mean? It means that I'm kind to people that others are not kind to. How many say amen? The third thing that 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 says is love does not envy. And I'm not going to get too deep on this because we did a whole sermon on envy. How many of you guys were here about two or three weeks ago? I won't spend much time on this, but I'll say this. Envy and jealousy, they go hand in hand. Jealousy implies being displeased with the success of others. But true love desires the success of others. Do you get displeased when others get blessed before you? Or do you enjoy seeing others blessed? True love does not envy. True love enjoys. You were blessed. Man, I thank God for you. Amen? I celebrate with you. Good for you. Sometimes Carly will come and she'll tell me, you know what happened to this person? Look at this story. And then and she shares this incredible story. And, and then I'm like, wow, that's, that's so amazing. That person could have received what I've been praying for for years. But you know what? I celebrated. Good for him. Good for him. God blessed him. You know, he'll bless me one day too when it's my time. But I don't have to be envying and saying, why not me? Why him? We're very fast to criticize and we're like envy. And last but not least, love does not boast, it's not proud. You talk about proud, you talk about pride. And pride is the opposite of humility. And God shows us in his word that he, what, he exalts the humble, he humiliates the proud. He exalts the humble, but those that exalt themselves, he humbles. Before Joseph became prime minister, of Egypt, he had to spend time as a slave and be cast into an Egyptian prison. We don't like the process. We want to get to the climax, the promise that God promised us. But you don't understand sometimes that to get to the climax, you got to go through the process. God has to process you. Many of you guys are in that processing stage. And through it all, God is testing your heart. To see what kind of person you are. Are you a prideful person? Are you a person that says, God, why is this happening to me? I'm a Christian, born again. I go to JTP two times, and I go to HOB with Jesus. <laughs> and I'm, I give my tithes. Well, Lord, I skipped the last two, but we don't understand that God's there. 
We talked about the pit the other day, right? And while we're in the pit, maybe God's not going to promise to take you out of the pit today, but he promises that while you're in the pit, he's going to be there with you. So you just got to stick it through and know that God's there. God, there's a purpose. I don't understand it, but I trust you because you are my father. I'm your son. I'm in the palm of your hand. No one can snatch me out. No one can do something to me that you don't give them permission to do. So I'm cool. I don't understand it, but I trust you. How many say amen? And before Moses, who grew up in the palace of Pharaoh, ever became the great deliverer and the leader of Israel that we read, he had to spend years as a shepherd in the fields of Midian, which was a very humbling experience. Before Saul of Tarsus became the great apostle to the Gentiles and later wrote most of the New Testament, he had to be humbled on the Damascus Road by a blinding flash of light from heaven and the voice of the resurrected Lord. So we see people that God used in such a great way, but sometimes we don't see their story. We don't see their process. And in order to get up, you need to humble yourself. You want God to take you high? Humble yourself. Humble. Don't exalt yourself because love does not boast. Amen? Love is not proud. The more proud you get, the more God will show you how worthless you are without him and how much you need him. But when you humble yourself, you are positioning yourself so that God, in due time, could promote you, could put you on high, and God knows what his purpose for your life is. I'm sure it's amazing. But we have to understand that in order to get to the place where God wants us, we need to humble ourselves. So let me talk a little bit about problems created by pride. Everybody say, pride produces misunderstandings. I don't know if you know a couple of these, but there's people that think they know it all. Anybody have one of those in their family or in their friend circle? That you're having a conversation with them and it's like they talk about any topic. And they probably don't know a thing of that, but they just have to say something. It's like they can't stay quiet. They have to know everything. I remember a while ago when I was youth pastor, I had this guy that didn't know anything, Jack, about sports. And I'd be talking about other people that knew about sports. And he'd come and he'd start saying, oh, yeah, 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 because uh, Jay Cutler, yeah, because... Uh, and he starts saying stuff, and they didn't even make sense. It's like, uh, you're in the wrong sport, man. What are you talking about? Jay Cutler does not pitch for the Marlins, all right? It's like, and it was just out there, but they think that they know about it, and they always have to talk, and they always have to say something. Well, it's hard to have a conversation with these kind of people because they don't listen. They just want to be heard. They just want to say stuff. But when you're proud, pride produces misunderstanding. Pride also provokes arguments. And Proverbs 13, 10 says this, by pride comes nothing but strife. Highlight that. The only thing that comes from pride or as a product of pride is what? Strife. Raise your hand if you're anticipating strife or wanting strife in your life. I don't. But with the well-advised is wisdom. You see, you can't be well-advised when you're always trying to open your mouth and try to get people to think that you know it all. Sometimes it's good to be quiet. There's a reason why you have two ears and just one mouth. Maybe you have to do twice as much hearing than you do talking. And if you hear, you'll learn. You'll acquire wisdom. Put two people that they think they know it all, lock them up in a room, 
And there will be two irresistible and immovable forces. I mean, they'll clash, there'll be arguments there because they both think that they're right. And there's no moving them. The arguments will not stop. Another thing that pride prevents is real fellowship. When there's pride, we can't have fellowship. When there's pride in a group, when there's pride in a leadership, when there's pride in a church, when there's pride in a family, can't get together. There's no fellowship. People who are proud will not let you see them as they really are. They always want to show themselves as something that they're not. They could be flawed, but they show themselves as perfect because they don't want to expose. But we just said that if we're humble, God will exalt us. Didn't God say, bring me your anxieties, you know, bring all the stuff, all your issues. Come, I'm, I'm not seeking a perfect person. God seeks people that are humble and say, God, I have this issue. Help. And sometimes, you know, we portray ourselves to be all these things that we're not. They conceal their real self and say things to impress you because of their fear of rejection. I love this. I was reading 1 John 1, 7, right before coming here. It says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And the Holy Spirit told me, light always reveals and uncovers. If we walk in the light, we're always going to be transparent people. I don't have to be a person that I'm not. That must be the most horrendous lifestyle ever, being a double, being two different people, one inside church and one outside. And who can I say this? Uh, I can curse with this one. I can't curse. You know what I mean? When you are a transparent person, that's it. You are the same person here where you are always because why? The light of Jesus is inside of us. We are walking in the light. And light always reveals. It doesn't hide and try to, you know, keep stuff on. No, I'm this. If I have an issue, that doesn't make you less of a Christian. We all have issues. We all have struggles, and maybe you're not struggling now, but that's why you have leaders, you have HOB leaders, you have pastors that you can go to and say, look, pastor, help me, I'm struggling with this. You see, light reveals, it uncovers and says, look, this is me, I'm struggling with this, help. And that's what we're there for. We pray, we declare the strength of God over your life, we help you, and we overcome temptation. Amen? I don't know why some people, they come after it all happened. (laughs) And after they fell to sin. And even so, sometimes you find out without them even telling you through the grapevine. But it's so good when you're walking in the light, when you're transparent. How many say amen? Amen. You see, that's when we're talking about love, it's not proud. We have to be simple. We have to be humble. Light always reveals and uncovers. Pride also postpones reconciliation. The best way to overcome pride is filling yourself with humility. Fill yourself with humility. I think we talked a little bit about this a while ago. 1 Peter 5.5 says, Likewise, you younger people. Raise your hand, all the young people under 99 years old. All right. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with what? Humility is a clothing you put on. The same way you get up in the morning and you decide what you're going to wear, what you wore to come here to JTP Church. You guys are all dressed, thankfully. And you decided what to 
dress, right? You went into the closet, whether it was in the morning. Some people have been here in church since the 9 a.m. services. It's a sacrifice that you guys make, right? But in the morning, you got dressed and you decided what to wear. Well, every day you have to decide to put on humility. Because you're going to be tempted. There's going to be people that are going to jerk your chain and they're going to want to get in on your nerves. If you're not clothed with humility, you're going to send them to a land far, far away. Right? You know what I mean, right? But it says here, be submissive to one another, clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How many of you are grace seekers? How many of you guys want the grace of God? I don't know about you. I need the grace of God every day. I want to know that when I need God, his grace is there for me. And, and that's what God promises those that clothe themselves with humility. You know what's the best way and the fastest way to develop humility? Everybody say servanthood. Serve. Start serving people. Do something kind. You know, we're talking about kindness. I, I was getting this idea and I didn't have time to develop it much, but wouldn't it be awesome if this week we do something kind for someone just out of the blue, someone, someone that was not expecting it, someone not that did something nice for you, random act of kindness. Just find somebody this week and do something, I don't know, buy them a Starbucks, buy the person in back of you a Starbucks and, or pay, pay their bill. Do something to a random stranger. And if they ask you, tell them, God just put it in my heart. I'm just practicing kindness because love is kind. You can't call yourself a follower of Jesus if after five, ten years, you're still waiting to be served. Because God called us to what? Be servants. No, for real, I'm serious. I don't want to offend anybody, but it's the truth. I can understand that at the beginning under certain seasons or, or certain situations in our life, especially when we come to Christ, that we come broken. But God puts us back together so that we could do the same thing for others. So sometimes we come to church and we expect to be served. It's like, I'm a son of God, serve me. I'm like, no, no, you're supposed to serve others because that's what Jesus did. And there's Jesus about to die hours before dying. And there are other people in front of him, and he could have told them, you know what, y'all don't know this, but I know the future. Yep, I went on the DeLorean, and I came back, and you all denied me. So sit down. I'm going to give you guys a lecture. But what did he do instead? He got on his knees, girded his towel, and washed feet. Many years ago, the Miami Herald reported that a man by the name of David McAllister, 77 years old and blind, a nursing home invalid in North Miami Beach, he received daily visits from somebody called Chris Carrier, 32, who reads to McAllister from the Bible. Let me share with you a little part of the article. The article says this. Their only previous relationship occurred during a few days in December of 1974 when McAllister kidnapped 10-year-old Carrier at a bus stop and later left him for dead in the Everglades with cigarette burns in his body, ice pick holes in one eye, and a gunshot wound that left him blind in the other eye. And when Carrier was asked how he could possibly stand around McAllister to look at the man who had so brutally tried to murder him years ago, Carrier said, I don't see a murderer. I see a man very old, very alone, and very scared. As I finish off this first part of the series that we're starting today, let me ask you, how's your love life? Let's not go any further. We talked about four things today. 
How is our love life with the four things that we talked about today? How, how are we doing with patience? Are we really showing the love of Jesus by how patient we are with people for the HOB leaders in our HOB? How patient we are when we witness to people and they shut the door in our face? How patient we are with our family members? How patient we are with our pastors when they correct us? Or when our leaders, when they tell us, look, don't do this this way. Do this this way. There's a reason why they tell you and they correct you. How kind are we to people? That's the second thing we talked about. How kind are we in showing the love of Jesus to other people? What about envy? Blowing out someone else's candle will not make yours shine any brighter. How come they put her to sing, not me? <laughs> How come? Mm. And last but not least, pride and boasting. You know what boasting means? It's, it's pride in itself. It's talking with excessive pride. That's what boasting is. And Psalms 44, 8, as I close, says this. In God we boast all day long and praise your name forever. If you're going to boast about one thing, boast about how great God's been in your life. That you can boast about. God gives us permission to boast about him. Don't be boasting about how cool you are. And man, if there's anything that I've accomplished in this world, it's because of the grace of God. I attribute everything. Man, you know what? Sometimes I wake up in the morning, I'm like, God, you're so good. I'm so blessed to have, to have my life, to know you. I was born into a Christian family that taught me about you. I'm so grateful for that. And God, you've protected me. I've never been to the hospital. I've never had a broken bone in my life. You've blessed me with an amazing woman, amazing marriage. I got a little bit hesitant growing up, I got to admit, right? Because I was like 27, 28. I'm like, God, you forgot about me. But when the time came, I realized that God's time was perfect. I mean, Carly's the bomb. I mean, I, I, I get it now, God. I know why you made me wait. I got it. And then for, for my child, for Luca, my first, he came after we were almost eight years in marriage. It took a while. We were like, God, why? Carly went through a lot of physical ailments and whatnot. We didn't understand. But when Luca came here, I was like, wow, God, he's perfect. Who, where in the world did Luca get blue eyes from? Like, and Carly has a grandfather that had blue eyes. I'm like, wow, amazing, blonde, blue eyes. I mean, just, I see it in every single detail how God's opened the doors. And all I can do is start my day and say, God, I'm so thankful, so thankful, so thankful. I, I've been in a season now that I wake up and the first thing I say is thanks, thanks. I'm like, I feel, I feel grace every single day over my life. I feel like my dad spoils me. Amen? And you know what? It wasn't always like this. I went through my moments, but this is my season. Don't hate me. <laughs> right? Jealousy, love does not envy. But God will do the same for you. Maybe you're in, maybe right now you are in the pit. Maybe right now you're going through season, but that's what determines how fast God's going to get you out. So hold your ground. Trust in the Lord, love people, be kind to others, amen? Don't boast about, man, if there's anything good in your life, give God thanks. Every good thing you guys see in my life is because of God and my father and my spiritual father, which happens to be the same man. Everything bad in my life, like I heard once Chris Hill say about the TJs, everything bad, it's me. That's me. But all the good things, I attribute it to God. He's amazing. How many say amen? 
if in God we boast all day long and praise his name forever. Stand on your feet, JTP Church. And I'm not going to do a calling so you can come up to the altar today. I want to ask you guys to close your eyes as the worship team comes up front. We're going to praise God in just a little bit. And I just want to, just don't lose focus. Don't talk to people right now. Close your eyes. This is God in you. And I just want to challenge you and see where you stand with this love issue. How's your love life? How are you doing with patience? How are you doing with kindness? How are you doing with envy, with jealousy? How are you doing with being boastful and prideful? And if there's room for improvement, I just want you to close your eyes right there and just raise your hand. And God's going to see it. And I'm going to pray over you. And I declare that God tonight is going to give you grace to be able to hold on and to be able to portray to this world his love because there's nothing like his love. Father God, thank you for all the hands that are going up right now. We all need of your grace. We all need of your mercy, God. You've been so kind to us, so good. First of all, in sending your son to die on the cross for us, God. Even though we are sinners, we, we've strayed away from the truth, God, but still you reached out your hand far enough to reach us and pull us back in. God, we're so grateful for that. And we want to, God, do the same for the generation that's seeking acceptance, seeking love, and sometimes seeking it in the wrong places. God, let us be a true, let us be a true example of your love in our lives reflected to other people. God, let us show people what true love is. Teach us how to be kind. Fill our lives with kindness. Let us be patient, God, with one another. Fill our lives with humility, God, so that we're not boastful or prideful. And God, let us enjoy other people's successes and keep our hearts far away from envy and jealousy. God, we declare that as we do this, we will arise as the generation that you've called us to be, a generation that will make a difference in this world, that will reach out to those that are untouched We'll touch the untouchable, God. We'll reach the unreachable, God. And we'll, through our testimonies, Father, reflect the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on. Put your hands together. Make some noise for Jesus. And now make some noise for Jesus.